We'll be in our series on our church values. And for our text this morning, we'll use the Great Commission, a text I believe that is familiar to most of us. So what I want to do is read this, and then I'll pray and ask God to bless our time. I'll be reading from the ESV, the English Standard Version. And it'll be Matthew 28, starting at <clears throat> verse 16. And it reads, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Let us pray. God, you are glorious. Lord, there are none like you. You are the creator and sustainer of life, and Lord, you alone are worthy of all praise. Father, we thank you that you've given us your word. Father, we're thankful for the opportunity to open it together, to study it together as this body of believers, this body of Christ. Father, I pray that as I speak this morning that, Lord, you would speak through me, that I would decrease and you would increase. Father, that all glory, honor, and exaltation would be to your name. Lord, that as we leave this place after hearing this sermon, after hearing your word uh, taught, Father, that our desire would be to honor you, would be to live for your glory. Father, would you open our hearts and our ears to receive what it is you want to say to us this morning? And would you be glorified in this time? And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> Amen. So again, last week we began a series in our family values. And this series will cover, again, four things that we believe are fundamental to the health of our church. So last week, Pastor Tyler began that series with our first value, which was the value of doctrine. And you see, doctrine is the appropriate starting point as it must be the word of God that serves as the foundation for all that we do. You see, the scriptures have to be the authority that governs our lives. God's word must inform how we understand all matters of life, how we understand salvation, how we understand sin, marriage, ethnicity, the church. All of these things must be informed from God's word. And yes, that even includes the way that we understand the topic of discipleship, which is what we'll be discussing here this morning. You see, discipleship has become almost a bit of a buzzword. I think the idea of discipleship, it really does appeal to a lot of people. It's a term we hear thrown around a lot, especially in the church, but sometimes I think we don't understand what discipleship actually means, and more importantly, we don't always understand how to make it work. So I want to unpack that a little bit for us this morning, but the idea of what we call biblical discipleship, what do the scriptures teach us about that? But as we begin this conversation, I think it's always important for us to define our terms. So how would we define the word discipleship. Well, if you visit the CCF website and review our values, we do define discipleship there, and this is how we define it. Quote, 
following and learning the commands of Jesus while teaching others to do the same, end quote. So in a nutshell, what is discipleship? Well, discipleship is about learning, obeying, and following the Lord's commands. Now listen, I want to be clear at the outset here, before we go any further, we're going to have a lot more discussion on this, but it's not just teaching people to follow the, or, or the commands of the Lord Jesus, but it's teaching them why they should, right? Why is it important that we obey Christ and follow his word? And, and again, we will certainly talk about that more in just a few minutes, but nevertheless, our foundation for discipleship must be God's word. That must be how we understand this concept. So what I want to do this morning is, again, look at a really familiar text. And that's the Great Commission here in Matthew chapter 28. And so I want to make four quick observations, four simple points that I want to make based on this passage that I think will inform us about biblical discipleship. So point number one is this. If you're taking notes, you can follow along. I'm going to give them to you now, and I'll kind of help us track along with it. So point number one, discipleship requires relationship. Discipleship requires relationship. Number two, discipleship requires intentional effort. Discipleship requires intentional effort. Number three, discipleship requires teaching, specifically teaching the word of God. You can put that in parentheses if you'd like to. Discipleship requires teaching, specifically teaching the word of God. Finally, number four, discipleship requires dependence on Jesus. Discipleship requires dependence on Jesus. So this is a fairly simple outline. And I think the text gives us evidence to support these points. So the goal of this sermon is simple as well. My hope is that we would walk away from this time with a biblical understanding of how discipleship happens. And I'd hope that we would see why it's important, why it's necessary, that we would be a church that constantly emphasizes and practices discipleship as a body of believers. I want us to understand the value in Christ's command to disciple and have relationship and teach one another. So that's my goal. That's my desire. And we'll walk through these four points quickly. So point number one, discipleship requires relationship. You see, in verse 16, it tells us, now the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. Now we'll pause right there for a second, a little bit of context surrounding the Great Commission. So Jesus has been crucified and killed, and then Mary and the other Mary go to the tomb, and the angel descends and rolls back the stone, and they see that Jesus is gone. And so these women are rightly terrified. They're scared. And so this angel tells them, look, go and tell the rest of the disciples the good news that Jesus is risen. Go and tell them what is taking place here. And then furthermore, he says to tell them to go and meet them in Galilee when they are going on the way and Jesus meets them and he says, have my brothers go to Galilee and tell them I will meet them there. Now, I want you to notice something that's significant to our point here this morning. In this encounter with Jesus that Ma the two Marys have, Jesus refers to his disciples as what? His brothers, right? 
See, this labeling his disciples as his brothers indicates a particular level of relationship. You see, one that is intimate, one that is committed, one that is, that is familial. In fact, Jesus doubles down on this point. If we go to Matthew chapter 12, there are those who are looking for Jesus, and he's in this gathering, and Matthew 12, 48 tells us this. It says, but he replied to the man who told him, who is my mother and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand toward his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven, that is my mother and my brother. See, Jesus had chosen these 12 men that he calls his disciples. And he'd begun his earthly ministry with them. See, Jesus takes these men and he chooses them and then he begins to spend time with them. Now recall the accounts when he calls Matthew and he calls Peter and James and John and they leave everything and they immediately follow Jesus and they begin to walk with him. See, again, what's significant about this is the relational aspect. Jesus doesn't call them to repent and believe and then just abandon them. No, see, Jesus commits himself to these brothers to walk with them daily. You see, as much as they were committed to Jesus, Jesus was committed to them. He was committed to teach, to instruct, to equip them for the life that he had called them to. You see, the Gospels paint this beautiful picture of us, of Jesus and his relationship with his disciples. See, we see a side of Jesus as one who is constantly caring for them and building relationships with each of these men and investing in them as he's committed himself to walk with them, to commune with them daily. So what can we take from this? Well, we learn a very valuable aspect about discipleship, that relationship is necessary for real and effective discipleship. So again, that Jesus discipling them wouldn't have been very effective if he just said, hey, yeah, come, follow me, believe I'm the Messiah, and then he just left them on their own. That wouldn't have been very effective. They wouldn't have been transformed by that. Furthermore, they wouldn't have learned how to follow Jesus and obey him if he just abandons them to their own thoughts, to their own way of thinking. No, Jesus spends time with these brothers. He builds a relationship with them. Friends, I want us to know that real discipleship cannot happen apart from relationship. That's not how it works. So we need to consider now, here's a great place for us to pause and really think about our own efforts in discipleship. Are we seeking to disciple those that God has graciously placed in our lives without any sincere efforts of commitment or relationship? Are you trying to disciple at a distance? Because that's not going to work. That's not effective. Now listen, I get it. Relationships are hard. Amen? I'm the only one. Got it. Okay. Just hard for me. Listen, relationships are very difficult. Listen, when you truly dig in with someone and you begin to spend time with them and you commit yourself to walking with them often, you find out messy things about their lives. You find yourself in difficult circumstances with them, having really hard, profound conversations. Man, it can be really, really overwhelming. But man, that's the beauty of biblically faithful discipleship is that the Lord grants us these opportunities through these relationships that we've built. 
and we get a chance to minister to those who are struggling with sin, who are dealing with the loss of loved ones, who are maybe having financial hardships or just rebellious children. Maybe there are difficult circumstances in their life, and through building this relational equity, God gives us the opportunity to disciple them in what it looks like to be faithful despite their circumstances to following Jesus. But that doesn't happen without real relationship. That's when God opens the door for real discipleship. Of course, Jesus, again, he models all of this to perfection for us. He shows us this perfectly in his own relationship with his disciples. But one thing we can take from this text as well that we see is that the disciples also had committed relationship to each other. You see, even after Jesus had been crucified and resurrected, the disciples firmly devoted themselves to each other. Verse 16 tells us that they went to Galilee together. Right? And even when Jesus appears to them after his resurrection, they're in this locked room together, meeting together. And then after that, they go to Jerusalem together. Right? The disciples had learned from Christ there was a need for them to cultivate relationships with their brothers and sisters. That's where real discipleship happens. Listen, this isn't some new or revolutionary concept. It's not something that's exclusive to the apostles here. You see, when reading through the book of Acts, we get a wonderful description of the fellowship that takes place there, of the committed relationships that they have with one another. So I want to read this for us quickly, Acts chapter 2. You can turn with me there if you want and keep your finger there in Matthew. But Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47, give us a picture of this commitment that these brothers and sisters have to one another. And it reads, Acts chapter 2, starting at verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. And they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. This is a beautiful passage because it shows us the power of this community. It shows us the power of discipleship and Christian relationship and this commitment that we have to one another. This is a beautiful truth that we find here. Friends, this is an essential part of discipleship, spending time building relationships. But practically speaking, it's just part of being a Christian. It's just simple Christianity, having relationship with one another. Right? I want to, before I even go any further, as, as we say this and we have this conversation about discipleship, listen, if you're actually discipling people and you're participating in discipleship, that doesn't make you a super Christian. It just makes you obedient. That's what we're supposed to be doing. Amen? That's what God calls us to. Right? There are no lone ranger Christians. We need each other. We need that support, that encouragement, and yes, even that rebuke and that challenge. Like that's the beauty of us fellowshipping and communing together. What Acts or Proverbs refers to is that iron sharpening iron. There's a beautiful benefit to those 
relationships. Again, that's required for biblical discipleship. So that's point number one. We require a relationship for discipleship. Point number two, discipleship requires intentional effort. Now, the first thing that I want to point out here, in case any of you may have any questions, let's look at the text again, verse 18. If we go back to Matthew 28 in this great commission, let's look at verse 18. It says, Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now, let's stop right there for a minute. Listen, if you need reason or motivation for discipleship, that's it right there, because Christ is king, because he has all authority in heaven and on earth, and this is what he commands. Christ is our king. He has absolute lordship over the whole of creation. Colossians 1 tell us that everything was made by him and for him, so he rules over it all. See, Christ establishes his authority first, and then he gives them this command. Right? He commands us to go. This is what he says. He says, then go and make disciples. Right? That's a simple and clear command. Now, I want to look at verse 19 quickly because there are two words there that are crucial to this point about intentional effort. You see the words go and the word make. Now, what's significant about both of these words? Well, they're verbs. And if you think back to your second grade English class, then you'll remember that verbs show action, right? So to go and to make are actions. Those are things that we must do. None of this is going to happen by us just sitting on our hands, right? It requires intentional effort. See, the Lord is calling us to action in our discipleship. It not only requires the work of our hands, right, intentional effort on our part, but more importantly, it requires the work of the Holy Spirit. See, discipleships are not born, or disciples, I should say, are not born by happenstance. In fact, it's quite the opposite. See, as human beings, we have this natural aversion to the things of God. And our flesh, we're just opposed to him. Nobody wakes up one morning under their own volition and then just decides to commit themselves to Jesus Christ, especially if they understand what that means, especially if they truly understand what following Jesus will cost you. Nobody just wakes up and decides to do that. It's not going to happen on its own. Again, I want you to even consider the example of the 12 disciples. Jesus went to them they didn't wake up and say, hey, let's go follow the Messiah. Let's go follow this Jesus guy. No, Jesus went to them. He pursued a relationship with them. Jesus initiated everything. We're even reminded of this truth back in John chapter 6 when Jesus is speaking with the disciples and uh, after the bread of life discourse and all these people decide they're ready to leave and Jesus turns to the disciples and says, oh, do you want to go away too? And Peter's like, where would we go? You have the words of eternal life. We've come to know that you are the one who's been sent by God. And then Jesus responds to him with this. He says, did I not choose you? That's a reminder to us of God's sovereignty over all things. That this, even this relationship that they have with Christ was initiated by him. It's not by our own power. Again, that's a significant point because that means it's going to take effort for us to make disciples. But again, the Holy Spirit must be at work there. 
Others and sisters, here's another great place for you to ask yourself a question. Is your discipleship intentional? Or is it something that you view casually? Do you view it as something that just kind of happens on its own? Something that's just kind of here or there, whatever? When we say that this is a value for our church, do we really value that? You know, Pastor Tyler talked about this a little bit last week. Like, the reason we want to go back to this, again, is not just to remind everybody of it, but to even check ourselves and say, how well are we doing at this? Is this something we're succeeding at? Our discipleship. So to those who are part of this local body, like, is this something we're doing? Are we intentional about this? Again, discipleship requires intentional effort. It requires these relationships. You know, as we seek to have believers be conformed to the image of Christ, and this is a significant point as well. After all, isn't that the goal of discipleship? That believers would look more like Christ? Listen, I don't want to disciple anyone. I don't want to strive to have anyone look more like me. I don't want to produce little carbon copies of myself. That's not the goal here. That shouldn't be your goal as well. I don't want people to look or act like me. I want them to look more like Christ. And listen, I have some conversations with people. This is a bit of an aside, but I think it's necessary. The people will find a church and they'll say, ah, I don't really like that church. There's not enough people there like me. Well, the church shouldn't look like you. The church should look like Jesus. Amen? Amen. It's the same with our discipleship. The goal is not to have people look and act like you. We should be discipling them in such a way that they're being conformed to the image of Christ. That's significant. Sometimes we put a lot of effort and energy into our discipling relationships, and we have the wrong goal in mind. We're trying to pursue the wrong outcome. I think Pastor Gabe actually preached on this text last year. Um, Colossians 1.28, but I think it's valuable for us here. Colossians 1.28 says this, the Apostle Paul writes and he says about Jesus, he says, him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone mature in Christ. That's the goal of discipleship, is that people would mature in their faith, in their belief, and be presented before Christ. That's the right goal to have in our discipleship. It's Christ-likeness. Now, before we move on, I don't want to overlook this point or misunderstand this text, but when Jesus tells the disciples to go and make disciples, yes, this is primarily a call to evangelism. And we'll talk about this more in just a minute, but the Great Commission is a call to go into the world with the good news of Jesus Christ, to share this gospel of grace and redemption to a lost and dying world, that we are to call people to repent, to believe the gospel, and to be saved in Jesus' name. See, just as our going and making disciples takes great and intentional effort, discipleship of those who come to faith is an undertaking that requires effort as well. See, Jesus doesn't just say make disciples and leave them. He says make disciples and then teach them. That's the ongoing nature of discipleship, and we'll talk about that more in just a minute. But again, we want to be a church who is biblically faithful in all that we do, including our discipleship. 
So we believe this and we even state this in our values. You can find this on our webpage as well, that discipleship is our primary method for church growth. Listen, we've said this before. We don't believe in being overly programmatic. We don't believe in doing whatever's trending or riding the wave of society or culture to try to be attractive and try to get people in here. We believe that the way people grow is we disciple them in the word of God. That's how disciples grow and mature. So that's what we want to commit ourselves to. We believe that we're being the most faithful to what God's word teaches us when we disciple people according to what he has said. That's our program. That's our method. We don't need the philosophies of the world and all of these other voices and all of these things, man. Let's point people back to God's word. We'll talk about this in just a second. So point number two is it requires intentional effort. It's never something that's just going to happen. So the hope is that we would be people who are willing to put in this work of discipling those around us. That it wouldn't be something that we neglect. Point number three, discipleship requires teaching, specifically teaching the word of God. Verse 19 here in Matthew 28. Jesus says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. So we don't just proclaim the gospel. We don't just call people to repent and believe and and leave them behind. No, Jesus says we have a responsibility to these disciples. He says we must teach them. Again, this is an ongoing process. See, our mission doesn't end when a person becomes a believer. It doesn't end where they're converted and where they make this profession of faith and they're regenerated and they're born again. It does not end there. That's really actually when the discipleship process begins. Once they acknowledge Christ as king and they've submitted themselves to this great savior, now that they've become disciples, That's when the work of discipleship actually starts. And what does Jesus say we do? He says, teach them. Teach them to observe all that I have commanded you. Now, this may seem like a really simple point, and I guess in a lot of ways it actually is, but this is how, or this is essential to biblical discipleship. We have to teach followers to come under the authority of God's word. You have to teach people to live in obedience to what Christ has said. And again, that's where this book must be our centerpiece for our discipleship. It has to be the blueprint. It must be the foundation. It has to be where we begin. And again, I think this is where a lot of people fall into error. You see, the Lord has blessed us to exist at a wonderful time where the world is flooded with information, right? There are plenty of resources that we have full access to. There's a lot of information that is at our fingertips. In fact, in this age of information, ignorance is a choice. So we have the ability to access all of these wonderful teaching tools, all of these great influences. There's a lot of great teachers out there with a lot of useful information. Listen, there are a lot of great things we could commit ourselves to learning. However, there's only one source of truth, one source of knowledge that is the benefit to the believer on this side of eternity and for the life to come. And that's this book right here. That's what we must 
commit ourselves to teaching. You see, so many times we give ourselves to all of these other academic ideas. We give ourselves to secular philosophy and we devote ourselves to learning all of these things. And listen, some of those things are great. I'm not even going to say that they're bad. There's a lot of good things we can learn. But we can't neglect teaching the word of God. That's what Christ calls us to do. Now, here's another great place for us to pause and ask ourselves a question. In the relationships that you have, with the influence that God has given you, where you're discipling others, maybe it's in your home with your children, maybe it's other family members, maybe it's friends, coworkers, whatever, God has given you opportunities to disciple. What are you teaching people? What are you pointing them to? Is it God's word? Or is it something else? See, Jesus doesn't say, go and teach them all that Caesar has said. He doesn't say, go and teach them all that the world has said. He says, no, teach them all that I've commanded you. You see, any discipleship that is void of the teaching of the word of God is not legitimate discipleship. It is not faithful to what Christ has commanded us. So again, a lot of things have value, but it's the word of God above all others. And we see this even biblically. If we look at 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, I think this is the verse probably most of us are familiar with in here. But when Paul's writing to Timothy, this is what he says. Verses 16 and 17, 2 Timothy 3. He says, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Man, that is a beautiful passage. And that just speaks to the power of God's word and what it's good for in our lives. See, it says it's profitable. We all understand what that word means, right? The word of God is profitable. It means it benefits us. It gives us, we gain something from it. And then Paul goes on as he writes here and gives several words that describe the benefit of God's word, that it teaches us. First and foremost, he says, primarily good for teaching us. Then it's good for reproof and correcting us. Man, a lot of us need this, right? I know that I do. I know I need the word of God to correct me. I understand that. He says it's good for that. And then it says training us in righteousness. Listen, when we think about discipling others, we should use the word of God to accomplish all of these ends. To train people in righteousness. To correct them. To reprove them. To teach them. And then he says that we may be equipped for every good work. That's the value of teaching. See, God has given us his word. And biblically faithful discipleship must be anchored in that word. It can't be elsewhere. You see, that's why we began last week in our series and talked about the idea of doctrine. And that's got to be our starting point. See, if we believe about God rightly, then we're going to live that out rightly. See, rightly dividing the word of God is important. Not just for preachers who stand in the pulpit on Sunday mornings, but even in our small groups, 
even in these discipling relationships that we have, if you sit down with other believers and you open the word of God, we must make sure we're dividing that rightly, that we're understanding that correctly because that's going to ultimately impact the way that we live. See, the word of God is an essential piece for our discipleship and our disciple making. We're not looking to develop anything new. We're just looking to be faithful to what God has said here. And there's real power, real transformation happens from this book right here. And I know that personally because that's my story. I remember when I first came to know the Lord, I had a good brother of mine who had been saved. He'd been walking with the Lord for a couple of years. And him and I met every Friday morning at the McDonald's on Timberlake Road at 6 a.m. And all he did was open the Bible, read it to me, and explain it to me. And it changed my life. It wasn't anything else. It wasn't even how great he was at explaining the text. It wasn't anything catchy or trendy. He just opened the word and explained it to me. And it changed everything. See, that's the power of God's word. And that's the beauty of discipleship. When we sit down with other brothers and sisters and we open this word together and teach them, that's how they grow. That's how they mature. And that's what we're called to do. I think of 2 Timothy 1 and 2, right, where Paul again is writing to Timothy and he says, you then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And when you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. See, there's a, a, an effect here. It's like a chain, right? You teach and then you go and teach. Others who will go and teach, who will teach others who go and teach, who teach others and go and teach. And it's continuous. Do you see the pattern that's established for us here? And again, that's all throughout the scriptures. This isn't a new concept. This isn't something that we've created. It's what God calls us to do. Again, let's look at what Jesus says here. Notice he says, observe all that I've commanded. There's another one of those verbs again. That means it's an action. It means it requires effort. See, this is where James 1 would say to be doers of the word, not hearers only. See, we must not stop short in our discipleship by teaching people only what God has said, but not teaching them to be obedient to what God has said. See, that's a, a significant distinction for us to make. Something I don't want us to miss here. See, in John chapter 14, Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And then again, later in that same chapter, in verse 23, he says, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. See, Jesus is pointing to this crucial reality here that love for him, being one of his disciples, can't be separated from the necessity to obey. That you must be obedient. Now, I want to be clear here for anyone who may be wrestling through this reality. I want to make sure I say this. It's important to understand you are not saved by your obedience to Christ Jesus. Amen. That doesn't make it any less important. Right. You're not going to obey him perfectly. See, again, this is the importance to discipleship because there are people who seek to follow the Lord and they want to. And then they stumble and they make mistakes and they're trapped in sin, and they feel like, man, I just can't get over this hump. This is the important. We're teaching them the power of God's word and discipling them to see what God has actually said about this issue. 
So again, we ask ourselves in our discipling, are we teaching the importance of obedience? And not in a legalistic way. See, following Jesus is difficult. It's costly. It's hard. Again, I think there are a lot of people who initially hear the gospel and they receive it with joy and they want to follow Jesus. They just don't know how to do it. And that's why discipleship is so important, why it's so essential. That's why it's necessary. See, we work through those relationships, through opening God's word to help each other see the importance of living according to his word. And that takes diligent effort, that takes relationship, and that takes us teaching the word of God. It's going to be important for our success. And finally, point number four, I want to close with this, and we'll look at discipleship requires dependence on Jesus. And look at verse 20 again. Jesus says, to teach them all and to observe all that I commanded. And then he says, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. I mean, what a wonderful promise that is. What a comfort to God's people to know that the Lord is always with us. You see, Jesus gives them this command, and then he says, I'm with you to the end. Do you know why he tells them that he's with them? Because he he knows they can't do it on their own. They cannot accomplish this without his help. They couldn't be faithful to the Great Commission under their own power. There's no way they could do this in and of themselves. Guess what? It's the same for me and you. We cannot effectively fulfill the call to disciple one another apart from the Lord's help. See, this is a great reminder for us. Even our best efforts, even what the best intentions, the best efforts we have in our discipleship, all of it's useless if we're not depending on the Lord Jesus. And you can implement all the strategies you want. You can come up with the most attractive plans, all of the most catchy campaigns. You can do all the stuff, all the things. If Jesus isn't guiding and leading you in your discipleship, it will produce no fruit. It's pointless. See, we thank God that he's gifted men and women in some incredible ways. There's a lot of talented people out there. We can't rely on our own abilities to accomplish this. You see, Jesus reminds us of our need for him. If we look at John chapter 15, verse 5, he says, apart from me, you can do nothing. Listen, I don't think this is a verse that requires a lot of interpretation or translation. Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. What does that mean? Apart from me, you can do nothing. It's a really simple concept for us to understand. I hope that we're not people who go about day to day seeking to be obedient to Christ without the help of Christ. Right? That all that we say and do, we must remember that we need him to lead us and guide us in all things. We must be utterly dependent on Jesus. Again, as gifted as the disciples were, as great a preacher as Peter would be, You even think about Matthew, who had been a tax collector, so he's probably a pretty cunning, pretty strategic guy. 
talented as those guys were, Jesus reminds them, look, I'm going to be with you because you can't do this without me. We must remember that truth as well. We've talked a lot about discipleship and what we've seen in the text and all of these things that is required for biblical discipleship, but I just want to offer you as we close just three simple points, uh, three simple practical realities to help us and encourage us as we go forward from this place and seek to be obedient to Christ in our discipleship. Number one, discipleship must begin in your home. It must begin inside the four walls of your own home. So listen, this is a call to parents, right? Even to singles who you have family members, right? Think about this. Before you go out into the world, and begin discipleship relationships with other people, are you discipling the people in your own home first and foremost? You know, I think about John 1 when uh, Jesus comes and uh, Andrew goes, and what does he do? He immediately, the text tells us in John 1, he goes to his own brother first, like, yo, we found the Messiah. We found Jesus. See, Andrew doesn't go to the people in the town or some strangers or some folks on the street. I mean, he goes to his own brother first. Right? That's the pattern that we must also follow. So here's a good, a good place again. Are you, before you seek to disciple members in your church, are you discipling the people in your house? Are you cultivating those relationships? Number two, and this is just practical, I think, for our own sanity. You're not going to be able to disciple everyone. Okay? Every person that you come in contact with, you can't attempt to disciple them. It's just not going to happen. Even as I serve, I have the privilege of serving here in, in, this, in this local congregation as, of one of the elders. Look, I can't disciple every single one of my church members one-on-one. That's just, we don't have time to do all of that. Right? As we see, if we look at the text, not even Jesus spent time with everyone. Right? In Mark chapter 1, Jesus has healed some folks, and then he goes away, and the next day, the disciples come to him and say, look, everybody's looking for you. And what does Jesus say? He says, now let's go over to these other towns, because I need to go preach there, too, because that's why I came. But there were people there still waiting on Jesus. They wanted to spend time with him. But he says, now I need to go over here now. Again, that's just a good reminder for our own benefit that you cannot disciple every single person that you come in contact with. It's just not a realistic expectation. So we need to be strategic in those efforts. And finally, number three, listen, this is an important point as well. Our discipleship should not be void of love and affection. Right? We've talked an awful lot about relationships, about putting effort into discipling people. Well, as we disciple them and point them to the truth of God's word, it must also be done lovingly. Right? Ephesians 4.15 says to speak the truth and love. And this is the important part. So we are to grow up in every way into him who is in the head, Christ. Right? That as we disciple according to God's word and in a loving fashion, that's how people grow. It's a beautiful picture of discipleship. Listen, I want to make this point too. I'd be remiss if I didn't say this. Listen, me loving you might be me telling you, guess what? You're not doing what God commands and you're living in sin. Now, there's a loving way that I can communicate that, but I want you to understand in discipleship, it is not loving a person if I neglect to tell them that they're sinning and living in disobedience to God's word. 
See, I think that's where a lot of people fall short in their discipleship as well. It's like, man, I just want to be liked. I just want us to have a really great relationship with one another. Yes, this brother's in sin, but I don't want to tell him that because then he won't meet with me anymore. That's not loving. That's not loving. We need to make sure that we're lovingly speaking the truth in our discipleship and our relationships with other brothers and sisters. So those are just three simple practical points that I hope encourage us as we close our time and as we leave this morning. So I just want to remind us again that this is a call. This isn't a request. This is a requirement. This is something God commands us to do. This is what Christ expects of believers. In John 17, Jesus has his high priestly prayer in his last moments, and he's praying for his disciples. And he prays a lot of wonderful things for them. And then even for us, those who will come to believe through their word, through their faithful proclamation. Jesus says in John 17, 18, he says, as he's praying to God the Father, he says, as you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. See, Christ calls us to follow the example that he set. As he came to the world with the good news of the gospel, to be a light unto a lost and dying world, he sent us, he's called us out of darkness into his marvelous light to now go into the world to proclaim this good news, to make disciples. And then once they give themselves to Jesus Christ, we are to teach them all that he has commanded. Listen, brothers and sisters, that is our call as a church. Again, that's not negotiable. And this is something we can just choose to participate in or not. Our king commands it. So my hope is that we would be a people who are succeeding in this value, who are emphasizing and practicing real biblical discipleship for the glory of God and for the good of each other. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, uh, Lord, that you have graciously gifted us with your word. Lord, we thank you for uh, just this opportunity to even have this time. Uh, Father, di discipleship is something that can often be uh, complicated or something that we overly complicate. Lord, you've made it simple to go, to preach the good news, and to teach them to observe all that you've commanded. Lord, would we be a body of believers who takes this seriously? Father, would we not just leave what we've discussed here this morning, not leave it in this building, but would it go with us and would it motivate us to disciple first and foremost in our own home? Lord, would we be people who are leading our family members in the way of Christ Jesus? Would we then go to our neighbors and then to our coworkers and others that we have relationship with, teaching them all that you've said? showing them the importance of coming under the authority of your word and submitting our lives to Jesus Christ. Would this be something that we value and not something that we just overlook or treat casually? But I know I've been convicted because I've failed in this area many times. Lord, I pray that you would give me the strength required to do what you've called me to do, that you would give us as a body of believers a desire to live in obedience to your word and to teach others to do the same. And would that be a blessing to CCF? And would we be a blessing to this city, this community, to our world? In Jesus' name, amen.